Have I pitched uh, flossing to you guys yet? Has that happened? Sorry? Huh. Have I pitched I, flossing? There's there's two types of flossing in this world, and there's only one that I feel like aligns with your personal brand. The Fortnite So I'm going to guess you're talking about the, de- the sort of dental cleansing. It was definitely the dentist one. Because <sighs> you're right. I can't do the Fortnite one. <laughs> I lack rhythm. I lack music in my soul. Yeah. But I But I have started flossing, and man... Flossing's where it's at. Mm. I sorry, what? Could you could you use your dental flossing as a kind of practice to build up to dance flossing? Because if I've you think tried. about it, the kind of motions are quite similar. So you just need like a musical beat. You would think so. I've tried it. It does not translate at all. Well, and- actually, see, in my dance class for kids that I teach, I just give them like a little string or a little rope. And that helps them sort of visualize the motion of the the flossing maneuver. Yeah. Um. So 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 you're not wrong. And do you do you uh, throw red paint on them to mimic the blood? <laughs> no, I don't. The parents don't like that when you do that during the kids' dance classes. That implies that you've tried it. Yeah. Yeah. Once. Once. Just once. This is a bad idea. Flossing's great. I love the idea of this dance class full of kids that can't dance for shit, but they've got the cleanest teeth you've ever seen. Oh, for sure? <laughs> for sure? What What were you doing before now, Russ? Uh, you say that like everyone in the world flosses and I'm the freak who like wasn't regularly flossing on a daily basis. I, um, I'm working with the water pick over here, so it's sort of a... Like how cool, like a cool. I have floss picks in my car. Like, (laughs) I have floss. What are you doing? I I mean, you're right. You're completely right. I was living in a very unhealthy oral world at that point. Yeah, but it's not like you saw a TikTok about it and it's like flossing. Like, you know, you know. I knew it, but like, you know what it was? It was the brush picks that changed my life because I couldn't, nothing was happening with the string. The string wasn't doing shit. And then I started using the brush picks and it was like, the feeling you get when you eat popcorn and then two weeks later the popcorn kernel like pops out, it's that every single night for me. And do it's, you know that you you said like that feeling when two weeks later it pops out? And did you notice how no one else on this call was like, oh yes, that <laughs> yeah, feel. sure that happens. Oh yeah, two two weeks. That's about uh, that's about okay. <laughs> it just get it got the you know it was in there. It was deep in there. It wasn't going anywhere. It's a lot of problems to unpack here. (laughs) That's what we call the besties. Yeah. My name is Justin McElroy, and I know the best game of the week. My name is Griffin McElroy, I know the best game of... 2001, I think. My name is Ross Russian. I'm the best game of the week. And welcome to the Besties, where we talk about the latest and greatest home interactive entertainment. <laughs> welcome to our special guest who's about to introduce himself because he's a podcasting professional. I was going to say, I am not Chris Plant, so who knows no. what I know. So. <laughs> Tamar Hussein, welcome to the Besties special Thank guest. Me. Thank you for having me. Uh, Tamora is the managing editor of GameSpot and the creative director at Giant Bomb, two jobs that at one time were very different from one another, and now they're the same person. Mm-hmm. It's a wild, wild world, and I am at the center of it, apparently. Yeah. And it scares which me. Do you like be- which site do you like better? Oh, oh that's good. Wow, this is brutal. 
Uh, you know what? No, it's easy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know you just you know what? Say, just like answer. I'm going to yeah. say it. Which... Gamespot.com. <gasps> wow. Okay. I, all right. Jack this is good. How's that? I mean, like, <laughs> I that. I say that because uh, Giant Bomb obviously is a spinoff of Gamespot.com. So by liking Gamespot.com, I like all spinoffs, <laughs> which means that's great. Uh, I don't like that. How do you yeah, like that? That's I like a cop that. out. I, I like approve that. that. I'm a Metal Gear fan. I'm ready to uh, come up with all kinds of weird explanations for my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty today. Um, I'm very excited to dig into it. Normally, this is where Chris Plant would explain what the game is, but he's not here. So we're just going to toss it to an ad break, and then we'll get right into it. You go get a phone. You just want a phone to talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts, and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details, and all of a sudden, they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech, you know? The contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or do you want to have a nice easy solution save some put the bucks back in your pocket pay 15 bucks a month say bye to your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills the unexpected overages sound familiar to get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month go to mintmobile.com besties that's mintmobile.com besties Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Tamar, as our resident Metal Gear expert, Metal Gear. If you Metal could Gear. summarize the plot of Metal Gear Solid 2 in, I'll give you a full minute. Wait, oh, let wow. Me, let me pull a timer up. And you can you could just just summarize it, and that'll be great. One second, here we go, and go. Metal Gear Solid Two is the sequel to PlayStation One stealth tactical espionage action game Metal Gear Solid, developed designed by Konami, but headed up by uh, author uh, director Hideo Kojima. It is ostensibly a sequel that is subversive, um, as well as being a sequel to the one of the most uh, critically acclaimed games. It's a game that. Uh, asks people about agency. Um, it poses plot. Quest- we need plot. Plot. Oh, plot, oh plot. it's it's about it's about a solid snake uh, going to a tanker and then sinking the tanker and then a dude that you've never seen before becomes the main character and you're like this guy sucks and then you do a loads of loads of like stealth shit. You save the president uh, through because his heart hurts and then at the end everyone in the game left. goes this guy sucks and you're like they do suck and then an AI goes yeah but we made him suck on purpose because you guys all suck. And we wanted to show you why everyone sucks. <laughs> that was Crushed staggeringly it. good. Yeah, <laughs> it's, was... really, it's really, really good. Um, I wanted to, I, just because this is like the first, uh, this is the rare time when like being old it has value. <laughs> uh, I, I have very clear memories, and I'm curious if you all do too, of like when the trial edition for Sons of Liberty 
was released. The demo, you a, mean? The, well, it was it was called Sons of Liberty Trial Edition. It's a demo for Sons of Liberty. It was a separate disc in a game that also kind of kicks ass in my, Hugely in my kicks memory. Ass. Zone of the Enders. Oh, which, by yeah. the way, fucking very good name for a video game. Congrats to all involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like a separate disc. Um, it was as big of a thing as like uh, when Wing Commander had the Star Wars trailer. Oh my god, like the you're Wing getting Commander so old movie. now. Yeah, but it's like the sa- that same idea. There was one with Halo and was it Halo and Crackdown? Yes. that had yeah. had yeah. the same kind of connection. But it was such a massive deal. Like it was giant. Everyone bought it. Threw off the sales figures for Zone of the Enders because everybody <laughs> wanted to play uh, <laughs> to play this. What didn't Final Fantasy VIII have a demo included with some other game? That was, um, I'm maybe it was a Pizza Hut thing. <laughs> I think of no, there are no other demos that are more deceptive than the Metal Gear Solid Two demo. How do you mean? Just because like everyone was under the fucking impression you were gonna play as Solid Snake, everyone's favorite gruff bad boy. I yeah. I would love to hear your all's memories. Uh, again, we're talking a little bit about memories because tomorrow was so kind as to give us a context for this. When you start playing as as Raiden or Jack. I have like it was it's really one of those where were you moments like <laughs> I remember I was at Jason Eldridge's apartment over at 1544th Avenue we were all like gathered together to play this cuz we'd all been like looking forward to it and there was like this sustained sort of like waiting for the punchline that lasted like in my memory hours yeah. like like waiting for like snake to pot i think it was i think we started to let go of it once snake appeared and did not immediately like sucker punch <laughs> right and take yeah. all of his stuff tomorrow uh, do you remember when you uh first uh came to the realization that this is the game that you were playing <laughs> yeah it was it was very much that because obviously like the 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 kind of uh, bait and switch is part of the game itself like you because the demo that we talked about earlier zone of the enders is is the entire tanker section which you play yeah. as snake and it's very much built to be the sequel to the game that you want in the way that you want it to the point where technologically and like design wise it was it was mind-blowing like it was like absurdly detailed and to the point where i remember it was such a kind of leap in in what people expected that in the UK, at least I remember watching an extended demo of it on the BBC, which the BBC being, you know, the stuffiest news network in the world that has zero interest in video games. Somehow I was watching snake peer out from behind a box and then shoot watermelons. And (laughs) I was like, this is absurd. Like, I cannot believe this game. It's going to be that typical gamer thing where it's like, this is going to be the greatest game of all time before you've even touched it. So when I got that, and that's what that tanker section was and played it, I was like, this is going to be the greatest game of all time. This is going to be another 10 hours of this. So when it switches to Raiden, I was like, okay, this is this is kind of weird. But I, I mean, the gameplay is still the same thing. And, it is. And yeah, but it kind of also isn't. It's like a de- like the the tanker is great because it's a density of detail and like what it requires of of you is like so close together. And the tanker, and then you get to the big shell and everything's kind of spread out and it never... Like the different systems don't demand and coalesce in the same way that it does in the tanker, where it's like, you know, you're shooting a fire extinguisher and then crawling and then, you know, you've got a boss fight. It's like run across this entire, you know, shell structure and you'll fight a couple of enemies on the way. But it started off really like 
I was shocked. And then the longer I went on, the more upset I got. And the more like, I was <laughs> like, I hate this guy. But but when Snake appeared, oh, sorry. When Iroquois Pliskin appears, um, <laughs> I, I mixed up my characters. A completely there. different person. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's totally a different different, different human being. Iroquois Pliskin appears. I was like, this guy's a pretty good stand-in for Snake. I like him. So it kind of like dulled it, but... I don't I think like the uh, on the credits it pops up David Hayter's name just like <laughs> believe it or not he's playing this guy too. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think by the end of it like I was satisfied but I didn't understand the point of writing for many many years. And, and do you understand <laughs> it now? Yeah, I I think I do to a degree. Like uh, the thing about Metal Gear is, and obviously I'm going to sound like one of those Metal Gear fans who, and who, and also I'm a, I'm a big From Software fan, so I'm like finding like connections to things that may or not be may not be there. <laughs> but like I think I understand it as much as a person can understand the intention behind something like this, while also having like a personal read on it. Do you think it's a narrative, uh, thing or a mechanic thing or a thematic? I or just like thing. a troll. Like, I, is there I think some element of like, go fuck yourself, fans? I, we're going to do something completely different. <laughs> I think it's a bit of everything, right? Like, um, and that's the fascinating thing about it. Like, because I think there's been interviews where Kojima and team were like, we need someone to represent, you know, a different kind of gamer. And that's why they have uh, Raiden being this like androgynous character as a kind of uh, counter to a snake. But then also, it's about taking this, this character who is ostensibly not the hero that you want you wanted snake but instead we've got this character who's you he's a gamer he's someone who mm. who when he's asked about oh are you ready for this scenario he's like of course i've done hours in vr which is just a gamer being like i've played loads of video games so i'm ready for war <laughs> and and like it's taking that character and showing that through different the, through the ways that they absorb and are given information and directives they can be molded into literally anything and be taught to believe a fantasy that they want confirmation bias and that's kind of like what the whole game is building towards at the end when they reveal you know they have the gw ai and and that kind of stuff and they're like hey the reason we did this was to show you we can socially condition people into doing anything and we're going to use that to stop you from killing yourselves because we're about to get to an age where the internet is going to be full of nonsense and we, it's going to be impossible for us to figure out what's relevant to future generations. So we're this benevolent AI that's going to help you get there. And Raiden is kind of like the test case for that. It, One, it's funny because it's basically doing the Bioshock thing, right? Yeah. But it does it in the like classic Kojima way of like nearly impossible to follow your first time through mm -hmm. that people didn't even like when I beat the game the first time, I was like, oh, that whole thing was a, a VR mission. Okay. Yeah. Because I just, there was just like, so much cruft in there when you go to save fucking Otacon talks to you for 45 minutes about why boats are built the way they are. And like, you can't pull out the strands that are actually important until like multiple playthroughs later or multiple like wiki readings later to understand here's X, Y, and Z that happened. Yeah. Some still truly, uh, truly bizarre choices throughout, um, which I really relished with history on my side here, especially your, I guess, girlfriend, Rose, who is working on the mission and understands the importance of the mission, but would also like to take a half hour of your time to talk about the day you met. And any any time that you 
Just, just if you have a spare 15 minutes, I know they're bombs or whatever, but um, do you remember the day we met? Because I would like to talk very much about it. And presumably these communique are being monitored by somebody, right? Who's like, um, one note. This is all good stuff. I love how you let him save his game. One note. <laughs> you can just not spend quite so much time uh, talking to him about the day you met. That would be huge. I mean, everyone does that. It's not just her. Like, literally every character over-talks throughout this, well, really every Metal Gear Solid game. And I guess that's yeah, just every, part of it. Yeah, every I Kojima f- product. I feel, like this, uh, I feel like this game really establishes what Metal Gear Solid is in my brain much more than Metal Gear Solid 1 does. Interesting. Because uh, it's so... The, the plot is so much more outrageous than yeah. Metal Gear Solid 1 and so much more, um, it handles some heady concepts. And I will see that there is a, a lot, especially in the, you know, AI dealing with sorting out fact and fiction and signal and noise in the internet age. That was pretty, pretty uh, ahead of its time for when the game came out. Um, but the extent to which you play the game for 45 seconds and run across a big bridge over the ocean after just watching a 15 minute long cutscene and then hop right into another 15 minute long cutscene after 45 <laughs> seconds of, of, uh, gameplay is to me what this game, what this franchise is in my in my brain. Yeah, but... Up until the, Metal, maybe Metal Gear Solid Five. Well, I would say, I think 3, like, moved away from that a little bit and actually was, like, a quasi-cogent story-ish, like, certainly closer than this was. And again, I, I agree with you on 5. I think 4 and 2 are almost aberrations in that way because they are so constantly distracted with the narrative and the, the dialogue and the back and forth. But I do think... I think 3 and 5 are, like... And and one to some extent, like much more concerned about the gameplay. Hmm. Um, so just every even Metal Gear. Yeah, it's like Kojima the Star Trek just... thing where the odd, uh, where the even ones are good and the ba- odd ones are bad. I think it's the opposite of that. Yeah, I, I think like two is where like uh, or like Kojima and writing team because obviously he he writes these games with different people like uh, Tomokazu Fukushima and. Um, for for two and I think it's Shuya yeah. Murata for three and mm-hmm. I think that this game and was peyote you forgot yeah, the peyote the peyote various drugs like a lack of sleep he loves McDonald's so <laughs> that that kind of involved I think it's like this is the game that started to create like it created a fork in in the Metal Gear Solid um, kind of timeline almost in how he approaches games and they kind of every now and then it created two versions of Metal Gear you get the one which is Metal Gear Solid one which is like very character focused I think and mm-hmm. it has a general it has a quite a ambition when it comes to themes but the scope of it is kept relatively focused yeah two was like all right i've got something to say and i want to try and tackle these very heady subject matter and do it in a way that's subversive and it was the first time i want to just say the first time i've ever heard the word meme before yeah, exactly Solid exactly and it's it's him kind of looking at what's my worldview and yeah. how can i express it through this game and then, then that's the two kind of versions of metal gear solid you have that is constantly going back and forth between 
between in that odd and even number. Like three is going back to the style of one, where yeah. it's got a much better story than one probably has, and it's more but it's more focused on gameplay. And it's about these characters. Four is where it was like, okay, I'm being forced into making this game again. I'm gonna <laughs> try and have my cake and eat too by by having this gameplay style thing and also having this wild story. And it kind of works, it kind of doesn't work, and then the same happens in five. But I feel like Metal Gear Solid After Two is is like the two versions of how Kojima approaches storytelling and games just constantly conflicting for the for the rest of the franchise. And it's it's really interesting, I think. Yeah, his his design history and like including Death Stranding, super fucking fascinating. Like you really never know exactly what direction he's gonna go in and where he's gonna succeed and fail, but it will at the very least be fucking ballsy like mm. you will you'll have a and an interesting time with his games something that really bothered in the lead up to this when i saw we were doing this episode and i and i would love to hear uh, tomorrow speak on this as well it is a real in my opinion a real tragedy how hard it is to play these games mm-hmm. i mean for for someone who might just have a passing interest i i obviously you know uh, i i'm not a child i understand that there are you, you know uh legally gray ways to procure almost anything digital these days. But the fact that these are, um, these are really seminal works. I mean, these are really important, important games. And the fact that there's not an easy legal way to play them seems a real, a real tragedy to me. Yeah. It's, it's rough now. It got harder to do fairly recently. Um, because at, at one point, the best way to play these or access them was probably through the Xbox. Um, which is ironic given that it's a, very much thought of as a PlayStation franchise for the longest time. Um, you could buy the Metal Gear Solid HD collection, which is the two, the second and third game in a package. And if you own it, if you bought it back in the day digitally on Xbox, you can still play it. That's how I generally play it. But because of the all the archival footage that's in it, um, mm-hmm. it kind of constantly goes out and in of like availability. I'm not sure if it currently is available. I think they took it down a it's little not. while back. Yeah. If, so. if you don't currently, if you don't already own it, you basically can't get it. Yeah. You can't buy it anywhere. That's, yeah, that is a real shame. You can still pick up that game on Amazon for reasonable prices and even stuff like eBay and stuff. And and then you just got to hope that you've got a console now and, and in the future that will be able to play it. But you're right, it is it is a shame that you can't play that game easily. Same for the original Metal Gear Solid. It's like so tricky to buy that stuff. Uh, the easiest way to currently play that game is through GOG, ironically. Yeah. And and it's like not the best version. You can still you have to like grab some mods to kind of make it a little more palatable. Um but yeah, it's it's a real shame. And two was on GOG. And yeah, yes, two was on GOG and also removed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you think it's uh, AI controlling it? Do you think AI is like we can't let more people play this game? They're on to us. <laughs> yeah, this this Hideo Kojima guy, he's 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 gonna he's r- rumble us. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned mods. I want to mention there's a mod called the SOS mod for Metal Gear Solid Two Subsistence, specifically the PC version, which again you can't buy right now, but if you happen to own it previously, that basically people spent a ton of time integrating a third-person camera akin to the camera that was in Metal Gear Solid 3 subsistence, which is to say, like, an actual modern controllable third-person camera that isn't the, like, pretty obnoxious top-down Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 camera. And it is way how more fun work? with that. How does that work? How does that not completely just fuck up the game? There are a couple parts that do get fucked up. So, like, if you're going through a door... Normally, you wouldn't be able to see through that door because the camera wouldn't be behind Raiden. Mm. 
But in this case, you can you kind of see just like a blank space of nothingness behind that yeah. door. You um, see the you see the enemy soldiers like backstage, like in the Truman Show. Yeah, like oh shit, what? <laughs> but you, but you have to keep in mind, like because you can go first person at any moment in this game, they had to make it at least look kind of okay to let the camera be anywhere. So it really doesn't break the game as much as like say. Um, Twin Snakes kind of breaks the game by letting you go first person in a game that it wasn't designed for. Right. So it's actually not bad. And in terms of the implementation, it is spectacular. They, they did an amazing job. Yeah. Um, so that would be, if you're looking for a more palatable gameplay experience, I definitely recommend it. Hey, how y'all feel about the boss fights in this one? Oh God, I love them so much. Really now? <laughs> yeah, I love them so much. I mean, like, I, I, there's, I can never talk about bad about these boss fights because uh, amongst them is Fat Man, and mm. I think Fat Man yeah, is one of the greatest characters of all time. <laughs> that is where I made it to in this in this playthrough. I played the game up until Fat Man, and then I watched the last like hour of the game uh, on YouTube just to refresh myself on <laughs> how wild that is. And uh, who boy, that's. That's a that's a that's a boss. I, I guess it's we're the, it's a sliding scale. For you want to refresh people on how that boss fight plays out? What's that? You want to refresh people on how that boss fight plays out? It's it's a mad dat. It's a caper, I would say, for you to <laughs> disarm bombs while also fighting a uh, a large man on roller skates. It's <laughs> <laughs> more or less it. Uh, it does have a delightful ending. Where there's one last bomb that you have to find. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to spoil that because maybe there's <laughs> folks who haven't played the game before, and that is a delightful moment of uh, of discovery. Yeah, I, I, the thing I love about it is how they're like reflections of boss fights in the original game, which uh, in the original Metal Gear Solid, which is what they're intended to be. But yeah. like when you really think about it, it's like, oh, the Fat Man boss fight is the Vulcan Raven boss fight, boss fight from the previous game. And, you know, oh, the vamp fight is the Revolver Ocelot fight from the previous game. So I think that's why I enjoy them so much. I had that, like, epiphany moment during each of those boss fights when I was playing them for the first time. Like, wait a second. This is just like the time I played this game. And so I think that's why I have a special kind of soft spot for them. Yeah, and you mentioned the from so your love of from software. Obviously, they did the same thing with Dark Souls three, mm. uh, calling back to Dark Souls one. And I think it's it is like a relatively common trend in game making to like have those nods, whether they're like extremely explicit yeah. or at least like thematically nodding back. Yeah. And, and this game's obviously kind of premise of the reason that that is that way is because it's training you on a simulation of Snake to be Snake. Um, yeah, is is kind of like what extra sells it for me. Um, this is a this is a completely non-impactful aside, but uh, in 2023, it's a wild experience to have been playing this game and looking for bombs in a bathroom <laughs> and opening a door, and there's the Britney Spears FHM centerfold spread, <laughs> which really <laughs> carbon dates this thing. I feel like uh, at the at, I, I could tell you the date that this game came out. I feel like based on the uh, that that wild sort of historical artifact. Man, uh, talking about just like ephemera from this game that is that is truly bizarre. I have to give special special note to the big reveal of the character Stillman, who is a bomb disposal expert. And in one of the wilder moments I think I've ever seen in any video game, 
this cat is like, there's some bombs that 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 Raiden and Snake aren't gonna be able to get to, and Stillman, who to this point we've been told it has a prosthetic leg, um, says he can go get them, and they're like, no way, they'll notice right away that you uh, are, you know, you won't be able to blend in, and this guy's like, well, actually, on that note, the thing about that is I have been pretending to have a prosthetic leg because some. Some kid, something real bad happened at a church, and I didn't want people to be so mad at me. So what I did was I told them all that my leg got blown up in the explosion, but that has that is not actually true. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my mouth agape, thinking like, I I know this is really offensive, and I'm trying to nail down exactly everybody <laughs> to whom it is. I mean, I know our nation's heroic bomb disposal experts. That's it's high on their list, but uh, there's probably several different factions that wouldn't be wild about this particular reveal. Don't you think he? It's possible that they did all the animations and the mocap, and then realized, oh, we need actually this character to be highly mobile. <laughs> we don't have time to program this guy. <laughs> and then you Very find his choices. dead body floating in a flooded shell core. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, Sad. maybe you deserved it. But <laughs> who knows? Um, okay. Do we have any closing Metal Gear Solid 2 thoughts before we move on to the future of video games? Uh, I will say this because I gave the game's boss fights a bit of a, a razzing. Pretty badass final boss fight. Yeah. Pretty fucking cool final. You can't do much better than a fucking katana fight on top of a huge sort of mech mind in the middle of New York City. That's pretty dope. Crashing actually. into the original capital of the United States. <laughs> against yeah, against the former president of the United States who yeah. is wearing <laughs> a, a uh, is wearing a Dr. Octopus-like suit. <laughs> And fighting you. <laughs> it's so great. This is my very favorite and also, Kojima. Also, he's your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. That's my favorite thing about Kojima. He's like, I've got a lot to say about the information age and the pitfalls that I see us falling into based on my own values. And and also, you're going to have a katana fight uh, with your dad president. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to also mention the fact that after that katana fight happens, it, there's a very honest portrayal of New York City because Raiden and his girlfriend sort of meet up and they're just hanging out in front of in the middle of uh, downtown Manhattan, and everyone is just going about their day, just chilling, just walking to work, picking up some subway, uh, doing their thing as a fucking giant mech just crashed into the middle of a. George Washington statue. Also, if Bless you, you, New if York. you look Keep closely, if you look closely, like Vamp is standing there in the background, oh. but like in the middle of everyone, like this <laughs> giant man who clearly looks like a vampire is just standing there looking. I at gotta these be real. I men, wouldn't like. I would not stop a beat. Yeah, I guess it's New York, so it is. <laughs> cool. Well, I think we did it. I'm Edward Solid Two. Well done, all. Um, I am so excited for Metal Gear Solid 3. Can I, that say, game can is... I admit something? I have never played much Metal Gear Solid 3. And huh? I hear it's one of the best ones. Oh my God, it's so mm. fucking good. I know. I don't know how I've 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 missed it for as long as I have, but uh, Is that your favorite, Tamor? Just out of curiosity? Uh from a story perspective, I think three I, is overall. My I'm asking overall. Overall, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. It's four for me. I just think oh. four's so weird. Four is so it wild. Is weird. Yeah, four's four's one uh, that I, lo I love as well for various other reasons. 
that uh, um, you talk about a game that is going to be difficult to play for a lot of people. I have yeah, I no idea how you get yeah. MGS4 these days. Is that game? Did that game only come out on PS3? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. there was no like subsistence. No. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to do that, gang. I don't have a PS3 no more. Uh, <laughs> we'll I, figure it out. I think it was on PlayStation now, but I don't know if it's still there. It might have been taken off. Yeah. Sheesh. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's take a quick break and then look forward ahead to the future. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track, especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want, get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. This episode of The Besties is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right, so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up, you just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi, and once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old, I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old, and they both love their Aura frames, and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family, all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, so the Diablo 4 beta was accessible to some of gaming's uh, glitterati. Uh, not me, beloved co-host Justin McElroy, but some of the other luminaries on this call got to uh, to step in and uh, 
I mean, it was pretty much anyone that pre-ordered the game, but yeah, we also, also got codes for people that wanted to try it also from a it's, coverage standpoint. It's pretty much anyone who was willing to go to KFC and get a double down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? So, was it available yeah, that, there too? So yeah, you, Which, you could, also, by going to KFC and getting a double down, you'd not only get a double down in Diablico, but also the rank of Luminary. Uh, so, Whoa. You know? Awesome. Um, so yeah, I played. Uh, I played until level twenty of the Whoa. Diablo Four beta, specifically because I knew that if you did that, you unlocked a little baby puppy that that uh, lives on your back in the main game. Well, you and, gotta have that, and that was a motivator for me. Um, but I hadn't played it or really seen much of it, I, even though I know there's been like preview events and stuff like that. I've been, I guess, not really paying attention, and so this was the first time I like dove in, kind of blind. And I was actually pretty impressed by uh, what they put together. It it felt like this interesting middle ground between Diablo two and Diablo three that I was not expecting. Yeah, I was I I played a lot of Diablo three. Gun to my head, I could not tell you what the story of that game is or why you should care about it. Um, and so the much heavier emphasis it feels like. Uh, on on story, and a lot four. more cutscenes in this. A lot more cutscenes. A lot less of your character just being an empty, you know, chainmail shirt, uh, which which I appreciate. Um, it's still to 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 me the aesthetic of this fucking bloody hell goddess is gonna f- fuck up the whole planet and eat all your blood is not necessarily the most sort of appealing to me. Uh, but I I get it. Um, it is a I, lot. Did you notice it's a lot darker than Diablo Three? Like just like tonally darker. I don't. To me, I don't rec- I don't necessarily know that it gets much darker. To me, it's it, these are all shades of gray. Sure. In that, uh, it's a game about murdering angels and demons and getting uh green gear that lets you do your barbarian whirlwind faster. That to, to me, that's the story of Diablo. <laughs> yeah, um, <sure. laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I played enough to have a necessarily like cohesive opinion about it. But uh, I'm, I'm I have mained barbarian in every Diablo game that that option has been available. Oh, interesting. Uh, it feels real good. I wouldn't have do... thought that. What's that? I wouldn't oh, have no? thought that. You don't. What is it about me that you find not? Not, not saying anything, you know, in particular. I've I've seen you physically, but I, I it just for whatever I've reason. I've seen you physically. Okay. I've seen you. You physically won't say. Totally you won't say why way. you don't think it's a good fit, but you've seen me physically. Yeah, they're two unrelated uh, ideas. Cool. <laughs> um, no, I thought it was. I thought it was fun, but I. I'm also. I don't necessarily dig uh, playing sort of beta early first look things like this when i know that i'm going to play the main game a lot and i'm not so crazy about just starting over once the game comes out yeah but no wolf puppy no wolf puppy that's fine i will have to find a way does the wolf puppy help me help me get the green pants that let me do the barbarian whirlwind faster no No. then i'm purely cosmetic doing okay (laughs) tomorrow what what was your uh impression had you played it before like at blizzcon or anything like that so i played the alpha version um they gave us like a little bit of access to it uh, a while back um and uh it was mostly the same like um and, yeah. and i think yeah it's it's interesting because uh diablo 3 is a very good game um it started off as a bad. very bad game not bad yeah. game like it functionally was was 
great and fine but like i think a lot of the decisions around marketplace and some of the balancing was a bit off whack and people really you hate could it. sell a fucking axe for 65 dollars yeah. and people would buy it yeah i think a lot of it's really interesting and because as is typical these days the the kind of story of that entire game uh, regardless of how it changed and evolved, it was defined in the first week. Um, yeah. But for the people who continued to play it, um, they found that it eventually got to a point where it was like really fun and playable. And and the kind of big thing that they figured out with the Diablo uh, 3 era is, especially Reaper of Souls, is like how to make that game work on places outside of the PC. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's evident in this game here um especially as someone who has developed rsi in my <laughs> recent years like oh. you can play it on a controller and it works uh, alarmingly well it's like fantastic um so i think like the baseline of it is like it feels like the most playable diablo in a long time and i think what they've done here is like let's take the our learnings of how to make this game more approachable to play and take it with the kind of aesthetic and the tone and the kind of atmosphere that people love from diablo which is diablo 2 it's a lot more of that darker tone and in terms of how a darker tone manifests like it can be in the story but like the story is is what it is always like evil thing is here we're gonna kill it i think how it manifests in in this game a bit more is like kind of like graphic uh depictions of imagery like you know it's it's all about grossing people out and you know that yeah it, or the art design yeah exactly the art design yeah. like it wants to do the oh, maggots coming out of the eyeballs to like freak you out and and i think like you know diablo perverts are all about that so um <laughs> and like this is this is what it's like and i as someone who likes that stuff um and likes that tone um i'm i'm way more into this i like that it has an identity that is a little more defined and and distinct now and and obviously like it plays really really well like i i played it a bit and i was like i could see myself getting like really obsessed with this again so so far like so good which is which is a good sign for diablo because it's had a lot of ups and downs post diablo you know diablo 3 being one of them and then immortal was this nightmare hot mess of of like drama for the entire industry so i think i'm excited for it to kind of hopefully get the diablo franchise back on track to a degree and just have a like unequivocally enjoyable experience hopefully but who knows what what lies in store yeah i i think the thing that jumps out at me about uh diablo 4 is the it feels a little less on rails specifically about the gameplay on uh, less on rails than diablo 3 did just because it felt like in diablo 3 oh you hit level 3 your build is going to be identical to anyone else that has level three, right? Like there's no room for the, the way they unlocked skills and abilities and stuff. Like you just didn't have options because they were kind of railroading you into this thing. And then once you hit level like 20 or something, you could start kind of diversifying a little bit. And here you really start immediately. Like you're picking between four basic skills and those have like little variants attached to them. And then you unlock another tree and that has like another four skills that you can pick from. And so it felt like I had a lot more control, which is really exciting. Overall, do I think it's going to land? I think it'll do very well. I think the biggest concern for everyone after Diablo, uh, after Diablo Immortal is just like, is it going to be, gr like how gross are they going to get? And I know they've <laughs> said very specifically, it's just cosmetics. It's just cosmetics. I, I guess I have concerns because there's only so much you can, I guess, go down the cosmetics route in a game like this before people stop caring. Because, I don't know, the armor sets are cool and all, but, like, it doesn't necessarily motivate me to spend money after I have 50 armor sets to pick from. 
So I'll be curious to see how they kind of scale that long term. But then again, I, I, I'm pretty excited about the Wolf Pup. So they do <laughs> yeah, have sure. levers they can pull. <laughs> uh, I'd like to talk to you all about other stuff you've been playing in between. Um, I, I kind of randomly found an interesting little thing called uh, Four Tales. Um, uh, F-O-R-E-T-A-L-E-S. <laughs> Sorry, it shouldn't be so hard, but there, there's a lot of different spellings for these. Um, it is a deck building game, uh, not deck building game. It is a card based narrative game. So you are going through kind of a standard RPG fantasy adventure, you know, um, navigating labyrinths and dungeons and guards and, and all that kind of stuff. But the mechanics of it are all purely based on cards. So the world navigation, like the world that you're going through is a stack of cards that you have to make your way through to go from location to location. Um, you have skills that are all based on cards. Um, each one is is dependent on whatever characters you have. And each of these skills are a different approach to a situation. These are really like narrative. So one is like use your bow and arrow to threaten someone or use your uh, senses to find food at a place or or what have you. Um, and then uh, at each location, these different skills have different effects that can give you resources that are also cards. And these resources are things like food and money, but also um, fame and uh, darkness, sort of like doing bad stuff in the world. And those resources can help you navigate situations too. So maybe if you have a, a gardener um, who you need to enlist his help to get through a, a maze – if you have fame that you have accrued through your actions, you can spend that fame on the gardener to win him over to your side. Or if you have accrued uh, darkness, you know, you can threaten him or, you know, maybe he's hungry and you can use food to whatever. So it's a really interesting way of uh, gamifying a lot of different narrative elements like um, uh, uh, it is it is abstracted a lot of things that you see in these sort of like borderline visual novel games it has abstracted them to a point where they're sort of like it's all mechanics um it kind of reminds me of this is a weird like reference point but the way keith baker and 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 uh, approached the adventure zone board game um where it is all sort of like a narrative thing but it's all very mechanical and card based um but it's it's very cool i played it on steam deck it's not really well optimized for that yet but if you don't mind using the thumb pad to sort of do the mouse clicking thing. Um, it's it's perfectly readable and playable, but um, it's called Four Tales. Cool. It's, it's very interesting. Um, I started playing Octopath 2 after talking about it last week. I haven't put enough time into it to really have a, a great uh, impression of it so far. I think I picked the wrong guy to start uh, with. Whoops. Because uh, the story I started with is Daryl the accountant. I picked Daryl the accountant, and it's very. There's a lot of um. There's a lot of spreadsheets. That's not particularly fun to no. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some more time into that. It it looks gorgeous. I just I haven't played enough to know why it's better than the first one. Um, I finished the raid, the new raid in Destiny oh. Two. It was super fun. I really liked it a lot. I got the Raid Exotic my first try, which means I don't ever have to play it again. <laughs> I watched uh, uh, some people playing it, and I like how fucking buck wild the like aesthetic of that raid is. Yeah, it's really cool. It's uh, at, at the beginning of this new expansion, the Traveler, which is like the big god orb that gives everybody their powers, uh, fires this huge beam of light 
into the uh, the the pyramid ships that have been sort of plaguing the solar system, uh, and it blows a hole into it and makes a bunch of like glowing white trees, and then that's where the raid takes place. Oh, so cool. you're just running along the boughs of this huge white tree weaving in and out of uh, this big spaceship that is just open to the void of, of space. It's it's very neat. Um, I like it a lot. I, I it's It is way simpler than any other, I think, raid I've maybe ever played. It's all about, there's a lot of platforming and there's a lot of ad clear, but there's not a lot of like, okay, you have to run into this room, memorize this symbol, one of 36 symbols, <laughs> and then try to describe that to five strangers. But it's mirrored, remember, you're looking on the other side, so you gotta flip it. Right, uh, yeah, no, it's, I, I played it with a very kind pickup group of nice British players which is just the optimal destiny experience for a raid for in my book and got it like start to finish in like two hours, which is nothing for like yeah, a raid you've never quick. played before. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I needed something to play on my phone. Picked up You Must Build a Boat Again. Fucking oh. great game. Can't beat it. I, would, I need more games from that, that dude that made You Must oh, Build a Boat. Similar, similar uh, angle. Uh, Charlie, my eight-year-old, started playing There Is No Game. Mm. Uh, wrong dimension on her phone and it's great it's what a great game to play with kids it's it's really hilarious to to watch them employ that kind of lateral thinking what a wonderful game uh tomorrow you have anything yeah another game that's great to play with kids resident evil 4 remake yeah uh, <laughs> how much can we say are we under embargo no i guess not no reviews that, the reviews are reviews yeah are the up, reviews so, are out. You're right. yeah i've been playing a, a bunch of that and it's fantastic um pretty much ideal for what i would want out of a resident evil 4 remake in that it takes the spirit of it but doesn't uh remake it you know down to the letter of the law it kind of they try and figure out what the intention was back then and whether they can achieve that any better they look at what the best parts of it were and see if they can create more of those moments and they also kind of reshuffle things around and make it a smoother experience that makes more sense in terms of narrative and characters contextually make the improvements that need to be made to like ashley's bits and 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 like make sure that leon is goofy still but also cool and give the merchant more lines and it's it's just a fantastic uh, another fantastic resident evil remake from a team that is just absolutely knocking on park um out of the park for the most part um yeah 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 we're actually going to do a full episode on it uh next week because poor justin and griffin have been uh without code but they will be experiencing the game quite soon yeah. i would be very surprised if it isn't in my top five for the year yeah I, it is fucking spectacular yeah. in my opinion it's great but the game i would love to kind of rec- not recommend but like suggest to you guys is one called dredge um, oh that's yeah. so funny we actually just got code for that we're going to talk about it on resties soon but please nice. yeah, give yeah. The download it's it's a it's a fishing game where you have a boat and you every kind of day go out into this open water and you fish uh, the fishing part of it is very simple um you kind of hit uh buttons in time with a, a kind of uh, a moving line that goes around a circle and you, there's like zones where you want to try and tap it and you pull up the your catch you take it to a fishmonger and sell it and make improvements to your boat and uh go you know travel to other islands and fulfill requests and and improve your your fishing capabilities by uh adding more stuff to your boat the twist is it's also a cosmic horror lovecraft game 
Um, <laughs> and over the course of like, the, it's got a kind of daily routine, a daily clock where, you know, when you're moving around in your boat, time is advancing. Obviously you get to night. Um, and as, as the days go on, you start to uncover weirdness in this area. You, you know, you start to learn about previous fishermen who suddenly have vanished and you know there's people here, here where you you give them a, a fish that is like nice and clean and they'll give you a little bit amount of money and then you give them one that's just absolutely disgusting and like weirdly mutated and they're very into that and they want more of those <laughs> and you're like what's going on with this place it's very weird and then you, you know a mysterious man will be like i need you to get me this thing because i'm working on something i'm trying to figure something out and the kind of cosmic horror part of it slowly starts to creep in and as it does you know the game starts to morph into something that's a bit more unsettling and then it's also got like the the kind of inventory management system of resident evil 4 where it's like yeah the know, grid yeah the grid based thing which is yeah you know it's a layer of um kind of strategy that you need to think about and it's it's a bunch of these really simple familiar mechanics that are that start to coalesce in a way that's satisfying i wouldn't say it's like it's exceptional but it's just got that kind of forward momentum and like the the kind of satisfaction of doing one thing and having it, it having a knock-on effect on another thing so that you can continue doing the other thing in a, in a kind of like a routine that is very very like engaging and compelling and then it just wraps that in a interesting aesthetic that is not very common in something like a fishing game um yeah i, I recommend it yeah that's awesome i'm very much looking forward to picking it up um i've been playing uh the resident evil 4 remake which again we'll talk about next week uh, i've also started replaying dark souls 3 because i hadn't played it since launch and i never played the dlc so i thought oh, it'd be damn. a nice little treat on steam deck and fuck man that game is gorgeous on steam deck yeah. runs great um i mean it's pretty much gorgeous on any platform but um you know obviously there aren't many games that are on the level of like the from software games from a world design art design standpoint and uh having a blast trying to do like a different class and stuff like that so it's been really have fun. you made it to the dlc stuff yet because no, no, I, I really just slaps. i beat you know the ice guy at the very beginning so i'm i'm still very early but okay. uh i am very curious to see what the DLC is like. Cool. I think we did it. I wanted to thank the following people for writing reviews for the besties on Apple Podcasts. Catface Meowmers, Subnonymous, <laughs> and Trey Pitts. Thank you for writing reviews for the besties on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Tamor who's I saying I feel like for... we're running out of usernames, right? <laughs> like I feel like every, we're like we're desperately clinging on to the last the last gasps of available usernames. They're doing great. Um Thank you to Demore for uh, joining us and, and talking a little bit about Metal Gear Solid 4, among other things. Where can people find you and listen to you and experience the magic that is you? Oh, thank you. Um, I am on GameSpot and Giant Bomb. Um, and then I am on Twitter at Tamore H. And then I stream on Twitch pretty regularly, Tamore H as well. Before I do end this, I want to fulfill my role as Chris Plant stand-in and remind everyone that there's currently a 24-hour 50% off sale on uh, Criterion.com. So... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Chris. We Thanks, appreciate Chris. it. Uh, I'm sure Plant appreciates it, as does uh, Jean-Luc Godard, if he was still alive. <laughs> Captain Jean-Luc. And these are on discs I'm seeing here? Oh, yeah. You like a disc? <laughs> okay. You <get> a disc. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to, let me recap, because Plant is not here. I'll recap what we talked about. We talked about Metal, Metal Gear Solid 2, which is uh, difficult to play, but I'm sure you can manage. We also talked about the Diablo 4 beta. If any of that sounded interesting to you, 
there will be an open beta. Uh, this episode goes up on Friday, starting that day and running through the weekend. Uh, basically, anyone who's interested can play it for free. So uh, feel free to do that. We also talked about Four Tales. There is no game Wrong Dimension. I talked a little bit about Dark Souls 3. Griffin played Octopath Traveler 2 and the Destiny 2 Lightfall Raid, as well as You Must Build a Boat, which is on iOS and probably Android, if I had to guess, but definitely iOS. And Tamora mentioned the Resident Evil 4 remake, as well as a game called Dredge, which is coming out on March 30th to basically all platforms. We did it. Fantastic. That is going to do it for us uh, for, for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And be sure to join us again next time for the besties. Because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? Steve.